Cook with the oil field water connection and the petroleum connection. Outstanding. The levels look fantastic. We appreciate you joining the program here as we wrap up our end of the year here in 2019. So we'd like to bring people on to talk about some of the stories, the trends, the issues of 2019 pertaining to the energy world. Peter Cook with Oil, Field, and Water Connection and Petroleum Connection. But I wanted to actually bring Mr. Peter Cook on to talk a little bit about water because that's one of our issues that kind of highlighted this year multiple times throughout the year. But in a little pre-conversation, we were waiting for the software to get pulled up here on the recording software. I found out he's into frac sand a little bit, so we're going to talk about that as well. So, uh, Peter Cook, how are you doing? Great, great. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you coming on. Let's talk a little bit about the oil field water connection, and then we'll transition to the uh, uh, frac sand petroleum connection. So tell me about the oil field water connection, what it is you guys are doing, how long you've been doing it, kind of why the word water and oil field in connection, why those three words are involved. Okay. Uh, very well, oil field water connection is something that, uh, that I started with a, with a colleague, the now business partner, Joseph Tricky, who's, who's actually been on the show here uh, earlier this year. Uh, Joseph is a great uh, analyst and, and researcher with Intel Thinking. He's the founder of a, group, of a company called IntelThinking.com, uh, where he does a lot of research in the uh, and analysis on, on the oil field, particularly upstream. But... Uh, I had been speaking at some of my other events in the past, and we got chatting about the, the big change going on in oil field water right now. Just a just a seismic shift. Seismic might not be a good word to use when I'm talking oil field water, but um, the big shift going on in oil field water, and and, I, and we kind of came to the conclusion just in one conversation: hey, we need to we need to put together um, a company to do events and, and a newsletter uh, just focused on oil field water. At that point, a year ago, there were there were only a couple of events held each year that were focused on on water in the in the oil field, uh, and they were primarily technical, uh, super technical events uh, for for you know petroleum engineers, chemical engineers, and others. There wasn't anything focused on the business side, and that's kind of both of our specialties. So, so we saw an opportunity and, and launched our first event. It was held in uh, it was held in June. And it sold out, um, it sold out sponsorships and, and seats at the petroleum club in Houston. And that was kind of a good indication that, hey, we were on to something. So we had people on talking about, oh, procurement practices and, and, uh, capital markets, merger and acquisitions, uh, all related to oil field water, as well as just the shift in the general approach, um, to, by the industry and the changes going on. And then our second event was held in October, same thing, sold out uh, attendance and sold out sponsorships. So we're, we're pressing on with this. We have a great weekly, a free weekly newsletter that where we just, we're just an aggregator grabbing uh, different stories that we think would be of interest related to the business side of oil, field, and water. Again, not technical papers, but, uh, but just uh, more analysis and, uh, and, and, and deals and that type of thing. And that we shoot out every Wednesday, so that's been a, a big hit. It's growing quickly as well. So that's a, that's a little bit of background on, on that. Oil, where oil field water connection comes in, obviously, is oil field water related. In the oil field, and the connection is we're bringing together these these different players at our events. We've been really pleased with the caliber uh, of the attendees uh, from operators all the way through the supply chain, um, and so 
we're bringing them together. That's where the connection side comes from. It's where we feel like we're giving them an opportunity to connect, to learn from industry leaders and to network with other industry leaders. And some deals are getting done at our events, or at least the initial discussions are happening there. So we've been thrilled with the, uh, with the results. And now we have our main, our large conference, uh, two-day conference coming up, our three-day, we count some of the three uh, conference events, but that's coming up in May, May 26th through 28th at Gaylord, Texas, in uh, Grapevine. So we're really looking forward to that. You said May 26th through the 28th, and where? Yeah, uh, Grapevine, Texas, the Gaylord, Texas. And is that a... What, what kind of conference is that? What, uh, is that water-specific? Yeah, that will be uh, Oilfield Water, uh, oil water Markets 2020 conference. Okay. All right. We'll have to circle back to find out more about that as we get closer to the uh, May date. But, you know, as we're winding down the 2019 year, you know, there's been a lot of different varieties of water water is obviously the most important thing on the planet we're made of water yada yada type thing but i don't know i remember early on when a lot of the studies came out about water in uh the uh, permian and bakken for example where they underestimated somebody forgot to carry the one and all of a sudden they got to bring in 20 times more water than the projections you know what i'm talking about to where they, they, they totally misread the, i mean we're not talking by a little bit i mean it was like 20 30 40 times the amount of water needed so back then i really started paying attention to water and oil and gas because it, so much of it's needed and then of course you got spills and what happened in north dakota with the wetlands so there's a lot of different areas where it can become a hot button issue but a necessity but then there's the whole innovation side with the recycling and the reuse and everything along those lines uh talk to me a little bit about some of the things that you guys are putting out and, and letting people know and tie in some of those you know kind of the year Kind of a recap of water, how you've seen it. You know, if you want to plug in your oil field connection along the way, feel free. You know, this is a good opportunity for for you to do that and give the listeners some good information. Sure. Well, you're right. The the, uh, the, the forecast was a little off on the, on the amount, amount of water needed, and then the amount of water coming back out to produce water uh, is, is just. I mean, you see it in article after article is talking about a tidal wave of water coming. And, and we, we won't be able to use just disposal wells to get rid of it, certainly not now with a lot of the regulations changing. Um, and and they're, going, they're going to need to reuse. Unfortunately, they've been able to reuse a lot of it. You can recycle it a bit to a point where you can reuse it uh, down hole. But um, it's, the approach now is almost just with the sheer volume that we're talking about. Is you have to have all of the above type of approach. Where you're, you're going to dispose of some, you're going to recycle as much as you can, reuse as much as you can. Uh, but that dynamic, the, the, the sheer volume, has created a, a shift in the industry where it's, it's no longer a kind of an oil field services approach, where it's, where it's truck heavy and uh, that type of thing. Instead, it's, it's going to a midstream approach where we're, they're investing heavily, major investments in uh, infrastructure, uh, in pipelines, and in uh, collection type stations where they can where they can treat it, but treat it from multiple operators. They bring it all, you know, have a third party that's gonna gonna handle that for you instead of just having something in house. So that's been the shift. It's gone from a kind of a low barriers to entry situation where you just need to have some trucks and, and, and some personnel. 
quite high operating costs now shifting to just the opposite, very high barriers of entry because of the infrastructure investment that will be required. Um, but once it's in place, uh, provided there are some other odd shifts, uh, it will have low operating, relatively low operating costs. Uh, and that's attracting uh, you know, the attention from major investors, private equity, and others. So in that case, you get more consistent, you get long-term contracts, more consistent um, revenue projections, cash flow projections. So, so that's been a, been a major shift that we've seen just, I mean, less than a year. Uh, it's amazing. Every week you're reading about new deals, and, and it's oil and water has really been, um, it's, it seems like it's a, the change has been so fast that it's a fairly new emerging market. There's so many startups coming online right now. But at the same time, you have you have companies that are kind of much further along that your typical industry growth, I don't know what you call it, growth chain, or where where it's lots of startups and there's too many startups and there's consolidation. And uh, we seem to have companies that are everywhere, kind of on that on that map. Uh, in the oil field water right now, some that are in the M&A stage and others that are plenty that are in the startup stage. So it's been interesting. Watch, 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 and that's kind of been kept our oil field water connection so interesting. I was going to say, you know the, the water story that I, for me, I found to be probably the water story of the year. And there's there's no right or wrong answer. This is just, you know, end of the year bubblegum for the mine, you know, getting fat off of the Christmas dinner type thing. Um, I'm looking at, you know, what's going on in the world of water. And Kimberly Wirtz, who's a, an attorney for Baltimore, she does a lot of water litigation in the, in the Permian. She, she made a comment uh Recently on, on this program, water is the new frac sand. That's why I kind of chuckled that, you know, you do frac sand too. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it's true, though. It is because it's kind of the new hot thing that's going to be that's gonna be impacted next year one way or another. You know, um, things are changing. But the thing that I found really interesting about water was the uh, Permian farmers selling it. Where instead of, instead of irrigating their crops, they found it much easier to sell it, turn around, use it as a different commodity. Some people were like dumbfounded by it. Other people gasped. They've been doing that in the Bakken for a long time. So it wasn't new, new to me, so to speak. But um, you, you are aware of that. Did, did, you, did you guys find that interesting or did you guys follow yeah, that at all? Yeah, we had a, a panel on it at our last, uh, our, at our October event. Uh, in Houston, that's what we had. We had some of these, some of these uh, long-time family ranches in Texas that, that now are have gotten into oil field water. Some that had, you know, refused for for years and years to get involved, and now they realize, hey, this is a better use of our family assets. And so, yeah, we've certainly been keeping an eye on that. It's been a very interesting dynamic. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, I say good for them for uh, for doing that. You know, I mean, it's got to be a, a lot less uh, work to do that, I would imagine. I mean, that's, you know. anyway, so, okay, uh, let's talk a little bit about Fraxan. Uh, what's going on in the world of Fraxan these days? Because three years ago, that was, a, that was the big one, and now it's kind of, I haven't heard much from the Fraxan people. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So, yeah, two, three years ago, all the sand, all the high-quality sand was, uh, you know, coming out of uh, Wisconsin and northern Illinois, Minnesota, and uh, kind of the upper Midwest, and, and shipped down to, to the Permian and elsewhere. And then people started to realize, hey, we're going to get some sand here in the Permian that we, that we might be able to work with. And, and the in-basin mine craze came on the height, and there was so much investment. And 
um, that they overbuilt in the Permian and elsewhere. Uh, and so we have a dynamic where you have underutilized or shuttered mines in the upper Midwest where no one wants to pay the logistics. I mean, sure, it was all the, the cost was in the, in the transportation. No one wants to pay that. Um, so they overbuilt the Permian, and, and now we have too much sand even in the Permian to, to uh, you know, much more supply than demand. So people in the Permian are hurting as well. So it's just a, it's a difficult time in frac sand world. We just have to, we just have to have some plans taken offline. Not just taken offline, idle, but, but the demand's never coming back for some of these. Uh, we need them completely taken offline, shut down, taken apart, to get that supply demand situation rectified. So there's going to be some pain, but we'll work through it. How much of the supply demand choke, pain, whatever the word might be, is because of all the new deposits they found in the last five years. The, the sand deposits? It seems like it's, every state now has one. It seems yeah. like. Oh, yeah. I mean, just uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen uh, two plants in North Dakota, which we weren't aware of before. I think uh, Colorado has been in a recent activity. We have Utah coming online for in-basin sand. Uh, Canada, there are several projects in the works in Canada. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're finding it uh, all over, and, and they're also finding that uh, the sand might not be as high quality as what comes from the upper Midwest, but it's not making it as big as some of the research, and there's still a raging debate on it in the frac sand world, but uh, there's a lot of operators that say, hey, we're using invasive sand, it's cheaper, it's not as high quality, but it's so much cheaper that uh, it's worthwhile, and, and the negative impact isn't what we were hearing, so... So, yeah, there's a lot of invasive sand coming online and already online, uh, and too much of it in Texas. I was always told that, you know, like the more spherical the sand is, the, the better quality it is. Did you get a layman's way to explain what quality sand is and what non-quality sand is for those people like me? Uh, oh, sure. I think the main thing is, is uh, kind of the crush strength, how, how much pressure can it handle? Um and that's been, I think, I think in the year before they, they've experienced a little bit of a pushback in the in-basin sand. They've, because it, it wasn't high enough quality, they couldn't handle the, the, the high pressures, and so the, the sand uses as a prop, and so it gets pushed into, into cracks and, and it holds them open to let the, the hydrocarbons escape. And, and, um, and in the year before, and, and elsewhere, I'm sure, with some lower quality sand, it can't handle the pressure, and so it doesn't hold those... those doesn't prop it open. So, um, yeah, certainly the crust strength and then the sparosity is something that, that they factor in as well. And I think that's just a matter of making it easier for it to get um, where it needs to go. So when, when it's got less strength or less quality, does the operator typically have to buy more sand then? <laughs> buy more sand or, or what they've done the E before. Just, they, you know, they realized after the, however long that that it wasn't high enough quality, so they switched it, switched to a to a higher quality sand. They might bring some more. Now they, you know, they they bring some back into the um, to the Eagle from the upper Midwest because of what they were using in the Eagle was good enough. Okay, wow, that's um, that's that's just an amazing world that frac sand. Uh, different terminals and coming from all different parts. Like you said early on, I remember Wisconsin and Indiana were just huge for frac sand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they're, you know, now they're, they're also dealing with um, OSHA-type regulations as far as silicosis, silica exposure, dust from the track sand. They have to 
be much more careful monitoring and controlling that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I do remember some of those regulations as well. Um, water now, getting back to water, what do you see being the big uh, things to look for? As, you know, a lot of people are finishing up their boardroom meetings, going to conferences, hotel, Christmas parties, that sort of thing. What, what, what do you think the water conversation, or the water cooler, is going to be for 2020? <laughs> yeah. And it, uh, you know, for looking into the next year, what do you think the big issues are going to be next year? Well, you have operators that, are, that have, you know, traditionally water has been a, a cost item for them, you know. Um, all this infrastructure that they, that they have invested in, and they may, uh, we've started to see some, some operators um, get rid of it. I mean, it, uh Selling non-core water infrastructure assets. We're talking about doing deals. You have Centennial talking about a Gulf port, CNX, uh, Southwestern. They're all looking at opportunities to monetize what they've already, you know, they've invested in this infrastructure, which they thought was just going to be a, a, a line item cost for them. And, and now they have an opportunity to monetize that and sell it, have someone else operate it. So that's something we're keeping a close eye on. How the world of frac sand? What do you see? In looking into your crystal ball for next year, business as usual, or is there going to be a disruptor? Be, yeah, there's going to be consolidation, or, or consolidation isn't even the right word. There has to be, um, there has to be plans taken offline. There are a lot, and I've been chatting with the, the operators of Fraxan mines uh, every day, and, and there are some that are very close to closing up shop, and I think everyone's just kind of waiting, trying to. They don't, they don't want to be that guy. guy. They don't, don't want to be the one that closes because if they get enough of their competitors to close, then they, you know, their business plan is much easier. They can operate at a profit. But um, and until until uh, several more of them drop, it's, it's going to be a difficult market. I was just having this conversation with Joe Nancy about how I, I think a lot of people, what they don't understand is a lot of times, you know, the, the cold hard truth is when you're dealing with shareholders, they don't necessarily wait for the holidays to get over small business owners and people who aren't adhering to shareholders and you know ipos and that sort of thing they might wait till the holidays are done that sort of thing um i i, I think this ripple coming through is going to really impact some people um people, yeah i think people are going to have to either shrink or um figure out some things i mean because a lot of the trends remind me of the last downturn and it seems like every day there's another company laying off more people or cutting back yeah. production numbers and everything along those lines. And, and really, the thing that really gets me, and this is where I wish our leaders would, would get a little bit more leadership under their belts, is that when you look at the oil and gas industry, the mining industry, because the oil and gas industry is the only industry that's added jobs in the last 10 years. So when the number one industry that fuels the majority of the, of the uh, or a good portion of the economy uh, is, is going into cutbacks and that sort of thing. I, well, I don't understand why nobody's talking about it, why, why there's not more people explaining, you know, the way traditionally things work. And, you know, you just got to saying some frac sand operators, they're barely hanging on right now. I mean, that's, that's, that's what people need to hear is those types of things because the last thing somebody needs to do is put a third mortgage on their house. Yeah, I mean, the sad part is that the, the, the petroleum industry overall has such a tough, difficult, tough reputation. You know, no one wants to uh, 
get out there and be their champion. And if you are their champion, people accuse you of just being on payroll for them. But it's a huge, I mean, it's such a benefit to to the U.S. economy. And then, as we mentioned earlier, some of the, you know, these families that are impacted, that are benefiting from it, meaning, you know, these ranchers from Texas, North Dakota that are selling land or leasing land or water rights or whatever it might be, I mean, would you rather they get these millions of dollars or that, they, that it goes to uh, Prince in the Mideast? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a huge benefit to keep it in-house in the U.S. And, uh, and as much as politicians might not like to um, recognize that and they all want to embrace, you know, the latest green trend, um, the reality is a lot of our industry and economy has is, is, is been propped up by it for the last 10 years. With the oil field water connection, how much of the um, environmental movement have you seen outside of, I mean, obviously the recycled water, the disposal of water, the reusing of water, but the whole social narrative and the, the engineered the stigma behind it. Have you, have you seen an influence in your uh, water, oil field water connection conferences? Uh, well, not so much with the attendees because they're all industry professionals and, and have been dealing with it. You know, through their careers, but but it's always there. It's always present. People, investors want to uh, be seen as investing in something that's helping the environment. And I mean, there's not any country in the world that 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 um, does oil and gas leader in the U.S. But but in the U.S., that's not good enough. I mean, it's, they're going to be get attacked by environmentalists uh, regardless of what you're doing. Uh, we did some events uh, oh five six years ago on clean hydraulic fracturing. Uh, and we, we tried, tried to reach out to some of these groups. We did have uh, someone from the environmental defense on at one event chatting, but for the most part, they didn't want any part of it. They just wanted to go on attack and, and not actually join together with us to talk about some of the great stuff that our that our um, oil and gas companies are doing uh, to to make sure we're protecting the environment. So. Well, I, I think that's really hard, and, and I wish this is where I think the media needs to do a better job of this because, you know, what you're talking about, I've heard more and more and more. And they'll reach out to a lot of the protesters and, and, and environmentalists and everything. And the reason I believe, from my experience now, this is my firsthand experience, the reason they haven't come on or participated is because they're getting paid. And, and if they're, they, they want to keep getting paid. And they don't want to look dumb. They, they don't want to lose, you know, have an opportunity where they're not going to get paid. But if they show up to the protest, they're going to keep getting paid. That, that's where I think the media needs to do a better job to say the protesters is an occupation now. It's not like what it was before that people were so passionate they'd skip class. Or they were so passionate that they would skip work. Um, yeah, if anybody's working a nine-to-five job, it's hard for them to protest nowadays because if they get seen at a protest, they might get fired. So, yeah, I mean, it's just like on Facebook. If you post something wrong on Facebook, you can get fired. Sure. You post, yeah, and it's no different. So um, I, I kind of look at it like that where I, I wish that the media and actually some of the leaders would, would point that out and say, Okay, this is this is somebody who's getting paid here. This isn't really real passion. This is templated passion. <laughs> so, I don't know. Anyway, and then, and then the organizers of those, you know, the, the kind of the leadership of those organizations of, of environmental groups don't want to be seen as engaging in a discussion with the oil field companies because then it gets run out of the boss by their own people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
What, what do you uh, think, think is the story of the year, the trend of the year, or the issue of the year? Could be either one of them. Any one of them. Just kind of from your world, what do you see going into Wow. Yeah. Uh, golly, let's see. That's, uh... I'll tell you, a few of them we've had. We've had we talked about the uh, California wildfires. We've talked about the rig counts. Uh, water was another one, just water issue. The world of water is, I think, what we called it. Um, we've got, uh, what else is in there? Renewable ripple that's been going on, that push, the renewable push. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's no wrong answer. It's just, boy, there's a lot of things going on. I actually think right now might be the fossil fuel's most important time in history right now. Could be, and, and I'll answer just as it relates to the, to the petroleum industry, and that, I would say, is the um, push by Wall Street to... to to get the, especially the shale-focused companies um, operating more efficiently for years, they've been throwing money at it with the with the promise of future future profit, um, and now they're getting serious that hey, we actually have to do this and turn profit, or, or that that spigot's going to be turned off. So the focus on on um, on more efficiency side, and then oil field water, the whole shift from from a oil field services approach. With trucks and and that type of thing to a, a midstream approach with much more investment in infrastructure, that's uh, that's massive. That's a, that's a huge shift that we're seeing in oil and gas. And we're we're starting to see interesting deals, and it's kind of the exciting part of the oil field uh, services world. So I guess that's my two part answer. Now, when you say shift from the oil field services to the midstream, and, and I mean, you're talking about the, the micro refineries and the pipelines and that sort of stuff coming online? No, no, I mean just uh, related to oil field water. So oh, I see. From truck focused, um, you know, low barriers to entry, uh, high operating costs to, uh, to more infrastructure focused pipelines and, and long term contracts. Um, that type, that type of a shift in oil water. Yeah, in fact, I think that's happening in a lot of the other places, too. I mean, you look at the amount of natural gas pipelines that are going to be on next year and the next year after that, and then um, with some of the you know micro and smaller set refineries that are popping up all over the place, I see where that's relevant in all kinds of different areas in the energy industry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I love it. All right. Okay, so we got the conference coming up on the 26th, Oilfield Water Connection. But that's what's the name of the conference again? Oh, you have to ask me that. Let's see. It is the Oilfield Water Markets 2020. Markets, that was the word. Okay. 2020. Let me make sure I write that down. See, folks, listen, make sure you write that down, too. So, so kind of wrapping up here a little bit, uh, anything that we left out, anything you want to make sure that uh, people remember, anything we got to reiterate, any chili recipes, anything like that? Yeah. No, I guess if, it, if this is a uh, discussion that have any interest in, they can uh, subscribe, get our free newsletters at oilfieldwater.com. So that's a weekly uh, newsletter, it's really an aggregator, so we pull all the people's stories, any relevant news, and, and deliver it to your inbox, so you get that, or... Or if it's Frank Stanley, go to petroleumconnection.com and subscribe to our free newsletter there for Frank Stanley to do.